Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. We are going to have our International News Week in Review right now, and it's my pleasure to welcome two friends to the studio, Nicholas Fang, Managing Director of Black Dot Media, and Kirk Wagger, the co-chairman of Mercury, the former U.S. ambassador here in Singapore. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome. Morning. Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Glenn. Wow. You guys uh, you guys look better on radio than I thought you would. <laughs> You're not the first to say that. <laughs> That's saying something there. <laughs> no, seriously, great to have you both in the studio today. A lot is happening, and I'd like to start with a regional story that is has implications, I think, across ASEAN, and that is Hong Kong. Again, last night, there were started as peaceful protests, turned into violent protests in Yunlong, uh, up in the northern part of Hong Kong. Take us through what's what that all means right now. We all, we've all known about the violence and what's been happening, and they're expecting more protests today as well. So, Nick, how are you reading that from the Singapore's perspective or the regional perspective? Well, I know a lot of people in Singapore are watching the developments very closely, largely because of the proximity to Singapore and, and Hong Kong, obviously, as, as a favorite destination for holiday goers and stuff like that. I mean, my, my mom's from Hong Kong, so obviously mm. there's a lot of people here who are watching with a fair amount of concern. And I think that one of the issues that a lot of people are trying to come to terms with is the complexity of the, the factors involved. Uh, and it seems to be evolving and getting a little bit more complicated with each passing incident. Obviously with the protesters, you're seeing them taking stance and wanting to gain a little bit more recognition for their points of view. They're moving into areas where originally they were uh, not looking at and they're going to places where travellers from China might be mm-hmm. there. Uh, they're moving to the airport so that you know obviously there's a certain disruption to, on the international level when it comes to air travel. Making headlines around the world to, to get their points across. And then, of course, you have these, uh, the men in white, these, you know, rumoured triad-linked uh, chaps uh, with yeah, some Twelve, of, 12 about, of whom have been arrested, apparently, yeah. after last weekend's uh, fighting. Sure, and, and some questioning <laughs> about whether, you know, they are linked to the authorities or at least the authorities are condoning or turning a blind eye to what they're doing. So the issue is just getting getting more and more complex uh, with each with each yeah. protest. Kirk, how do you see that? You know, you, you travel the region quite a lot. Of course, you're back and forth between the U.S. and Singapore and ASEAN now. What kind of ripple effect is that having for business, for, you know, for just general sentiment across the, across the region? Well, I think it's clear that when Xi Jinping uh, came into his position, he wanted to make it clear that there is one China. Two policies or, or two governments is a much lesser of an issue. And he made a choice and the government of China made a choice that they will even devalue the asset of Hong Kong, which was such an economic powerhouse to make that point. But the ramifications are, are pretty stark, I think. I mean, clearly Taiwan is reacting to that with the upcoming presidential election. It will have an impact there. And then it forces the the countries that have a strong relationship with Taiwan to be forced into a position that otherwise they may not uh, want to have. They they seem to have gone through a rebranding over the last few months on the Greater Bay Area, which would combine Guangzhou and Shenzhen, which makes sense if you look at it on paper. However, anybody you know from Hong Kong, and I also have family members that live in Hong Kong, no one in Hong Kong thinks of themselves as anything other than a Hong Konger. And <laughs> yeah, so, it's the way it's always been. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, I often say, clearly over the last 10 years, Singapore has been the beneficiary of this move towards more China, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I often say that Hong Kong has gone from being the London of Asia to the Chicago of China. And, and <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm from Chicago. What's that supposed to mean? You're a second city. <laughs> You're a second city. But that's a great city, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not 
not a bad city, but I don't think anyone in Hong Kong sees yeah. themselves as not the shining jewel of North Asia. Mm. But American businesses have been choosing Singapore five, six, seven to one to locate their international headquarters, not right. just their Asia headquarters. When I was in the job here, General Motors, after 70 years, moved their global headquarters from Hong Kong to Singapore, peeling off their China piece to Shanghai. Yeah leaving uh, Hong Kong out in the cold. And that's going to accelerate, not decelerate, given what's going on there sure, right now. Sure. With Kirk Wagger, uh, co-founder of Mercury, and Nicholas Fang, who is the managing director at Block.media, here talking about our international news weekend review. On to another story, gents. Not that this one, Hong Kong, isn't important, but we got a lot to talk about today. North Korea fired off two more missiles on Thursday this week. President Trump said, meh, not a big deal, basically, in, a, in an official statement from the White House. People in the region are not so Sure. <laughs> of course, South Korea and Japan among them. What kind of ripples has that put through the region in recent days? I think it uh, has definitely turned a spotlight now on the slightly precarious position that South Korea and uh, President Moon Jae-in find themselves in. Obviously, the recent uh, meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un did not feature South Korea or, or President Moon very, very significantly as an interlocutor, as mm. the uh, sort of middleman that he's been trying to position himself as. And this latest missile firing, um, there was a clear statement from Pyongyang to say that this was really a statement to South Korea to cease and desist, acquiring more sophisticated weapons and, of course, having the, those exercises with the US. Mm. So I think that there is a certain recognition that South Korea's position, or rather the South Korean uh, contribution to the entire process, I'm not sure if North Korea or, Pyongyang or Kim Jong-un actually sees that as a significant piece anymore. And uh, they're moving ahead with you know all their different measures and all their different tactics to, to, uh, to engage or to put pressure on the other stakeholders like the US, like mm. Japan. And I think that uh, interestingly, obviously, um, President Trump has maintained his position, still keeping the door open for engagement, not condemning or uh, coming down too hard on, on the, the missile firings so that the potential for some kind of engagement might still be there. But I, I'm keeping an eye on what South Korea can, if at all, play uh, in terms of a role in this process. Kirk, this comes just uh, two weeks or th a few weeks after the handshake at the DMZ between uh, President Trump and, uh, and the North Korean leader. While the president may not seem to think this is a very important moment or step, you know, people in the region do. Do you think the president just doesn't understand it or as as Nick has just said, is he just trying to keep it on the down low so that they can move ahead with their negotiations? I know you're not in the White House, but what is your reading of the situation? This administration's uh, North Korea policy, if you can call that, is one of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen in foreign policy, and that's saying something in this administration. Mm. Um, How so? The number one policy goal for North Korea for the last 30 years has been a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the president of the United States to mm. elevate themselves. Before President Trump agreed to meet with him, Kim Jong-un had met with exactly zero world leaders. Mm -hmm. Since that time, he's met with Xi Jinping, obviously, President Moon, Putin, others. So check that box for North Korea. We've gotten exactly nothing out of it. It has been maddening. And to bring South Korea into this uh, conversation, to be quite honest, they were a big driver in these meetings. And while they have their own interests, I think that they have overplayed their hand and, and really not helped the situation. But the bigger issue right now, particularly in North Asia, but really globally, but is the lack of a consistent policy, the fact that our friends and allies don't know what to make of us. I would say the bigger issue in North Asia in the last 10 days has been the joint exercise of China and Russia, mm -hmm. quote unquote, accidentally entering the airspace <laughs> yeah. and having Korea and Japan fight about whose, ice, whose airspace it was and the U.S. playing no role. That, mm literally is about as 180 degrees from the last 70 years, regardless of administration. And, you know, Glenn, you've lived out here for a long time. 
But the minute I think 99% of Americans leave the country, they take off their partisan jersey and put on uh, the jersey for the United States of America. Mm. And that's not the sense. Transactional nature of this, it lacks, I think, any understanding and depth. The appreciation for people like yourselves out here having to explain our country repeatedly, that has not made our country safer and it has not made the region more stable. So my hope is we can get through this moment in our history and get back to where I think we need to be and the world needs us. Let's uh, let's talk about another topic that may have some implications. Uh, well, it may. It will have some implications for the U.S. administration, but also it may have some throughout some of the other geopolitical issues that we're having around the world. And that is Boris Johnson's elevation to prime minister in the U.K. Now, they're already talking about something called the Boris bump, the Boris bounce in the conservative party, opening up a 10-point lead over the opposition just since Wednesday when he was shown the, shown the prime ministership. What does this say, Kirk, we'll start with you, Kirk Wagger, Merc, uh, co-founder of Mercury. What does this say about the relationship going forward with the U.S. since he apparently has a, a fairly strong uh, relationship with, with President Trump? Well, I think a lot's been made of that. I, I think we should be in a wait-and-see mo- moment. You know, this concept that he is the, the British Trump really doesn't add up. Unlike President Trump, Boris Johnson has been in Parliament twice, two-term mayor of London, foreign secretary. You have, people have their opinions on how successful he was, but he was in that job for two years. So he has extensive understanding of government. Hmm. On top of that, what people miss, I think, is Boris Johnson also has been considered fairly pro-China in his approach. Now, the question is whether or not that's what he believes philosophically, or that's what you do when you're a mayor of a city and you're looking for inbound investment. investment and and yeah. I think, yeah. I think you know, we'll wait and see. But whether it be on the issue with the tanker uh, in around, on Iranian hands and how he plays that sure. has ramifications as to whether or not he's going to move more to Europe, which he's going to need to have a good relationship with Europe as he moves forward on his number one through 10 priority, which is Brexit, or whether or not this relationship with President Trump, you know, and, and let's remember, possibly in the last 16 months of his presidency is worth it to cuddle up to the United States in this administration. Boris Johnson is... Well, of course, we have the Brexit issue, which right, and that's has, his, that's has implications focus. as well, right, it, for it, the it, U.S. and U.K. relationship at if, some level. But if I'm Boris Johnson, I, I look at this president and say, he's transactional. I've got to come with a deal for a quick free trade agreement. If mm. there's ever a president that's going to do a quick free trade agreement, yeah. it's President Trump. Sure. But one of the things I wonder is we're kind of maxed out on our capacity in Europe, you know, given the demographics and, and all of that, I don't know there's much more we can get out of a trade deal or they, I mean, they can obviously probably get uh, more access to our markets. Yeah. It's very different than doing a trade deal with a Japan, a Singapore, a Vietnam. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of runway to, to improve. Mm. We've been pretty deep in, in the UK for about 200 years. So <laughs> are we going to build another Pratt-Whitney plant? I don't know. Yeah, Nicholas Fang, uh, Black Dot uh, Media. What do you think about any possible implications for Asia, Singapore, or ASEAN uh, with Boris Johnson now being the PM? As Ambassador was just saying, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how former Foreign Secretary in Boris Johnson actually engages with the rest of the world. I think that quite a lot of his brand uh, in terms of foreign diplomacy is still not entirely clear. Obviously, you know, Prime Minister Lee in Singapore writing to, to Boris Johnson to congratulate him uh, sort of reminded him of the point that we are celebrating our bicentennial now in Singapore, mm-hmm. which marks the, the arrival of uh, Snapper Raffles here in Singapore. So a long history between the two countries. Sure. Um, I think the question now will be uh, with all the other things on the UK's mind, 
And of course, Boris Johnson's mind with with the Iran tanker, with the potential for Brexit, and, and some talk in the past about, about the UK wanting to engage more in Asia, whether it's in terms of military sort of activities or trade. It's going to be interesting to see how high Asia ranks on the list of priorities, given that you know in most of the things that we've talked about when it comes to Boris Johnson's ring uh, number ten, it's been largely focused on things like relationship with the US, Iran, Brexit, and things like that. So uh, I think I think it'll be there'll be a high level of interest to see how quick he actually gets down to engaging obviously you know they've just gone on their summer break you know a mm-hmm. couple of days after he came into into office which was always well it may not be a bad thing given that it gives him a little bit of a runway to figure sure. out what to do on, on on all these pressing issues that are top of his mind I think his team his his high level team that he's assembled uh, there's been some positive buzz made about their sort of diversity in terms of racial and gender balance you know it's, it's quite a, a diverse looking group of, of senior cabinet members but question now is, you know, in terms of their policy and how they are going to react to these major issues, still not entirely clear. Nicholas Fang, Kirk Wagger, thank you for being with me this morning on our International News and Review. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks a lot. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.